Yeah, so um, I hope I can explain it better. Yes, it's a sermon series on those timeless slogans that we have heard over the years. And, and maybe, and some of these slogans will even predate some of you. So it'll, we'll have fun with that. But over the next four weeks, we're going to look at some of these timeless slogans and kind of put a twist on them to find the profound message that's in them for us as not only Christians, but as people who live with each other, who interact with each other, who live together on this, this wonderful earth and this uh, world. So um, just to kind of get us going, let me, let me see if you know some of these slogans. Today, of course, is Think Different, and we'll go into that in just a second. But how about one, and, and if you know it, yell it out, okay? Um, what company is this slogan related to? As good as a man can get. Gillette. Okay, let's... The be- oh, no, you know what? I was wrong. The best a man can get. That's what it is. How about, th- how about this one? This is going to go a little further back. Um, uh, don't knock this off my shoulder. Uh, Doris, was it ever ready? Or, yeah, Doracell battery. How about uh, break me off a piece of that? There you go. Um, taste the rainbow. See, now you see, I'm, I'm like in candy right now, candy mode, all right? Um, uh, how about can you hear me now? Verizon, yeah, Verizon. In fact, that'll be one that we'll do in about two weeks. Um, um, maybe she's born with it. Maybe, yeah, it's Maybelline, yeah. Um, L'Oreal is uh, one who does, um, what is L'Oreal's one? Because you're worth it. Because she's worth it. Because she's worth it, yeah. Um, today is is think different. Think different. And um, and and. And so as we make this transition into this, 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 uh, this, this sermon today, it's, let me give you a little background. Steve Jobs, who was the CEO of Apple, introduced to the Apple executives the Think Different um, uh, campaign. And he did this in 1997, which the purpose of this campaign was to rebrand the company and to reposition the company as an innovative and forward-thinking brand. Uh, he, even in his speech, he references Nike that celebrates the athletes, yet they sell a commodity. And he said that that is something that they, they think that is, is, is very good in the commercial or the uh, ad campaign. So... Thinking Different, this Think Different campaign for Apple, it was a bold departure away from the traditional technological or technology advertisements that really focused on the product features. We got the new and the best computer that's coming out or this device that's coming out. It didn't focus on the specifications. Rather, Apple at this time in 1997, through this ad campaign, chose to celebrate creativity, individuality, and the power of individual people. And the very first um, uh, TV uh, ad uh, was a, an ad of just striking portraits of iconic figures that are in black and white who had made significant, uh, uh, significant um, 
uh, contributions in various um, uh, fields like art or music or science. People like Albert Einstein. These are the actual pictures from that um, ad campaign or Bob Dylan or uh, Amelia Earhart and, and so many others. Apple wanted to make sure its message was clear at this time um, that Apple was going to celebrate those who dared to challenge the status quo. Those who thought differently and those who made a positive impact on the world through their unique vision and their ideas. Now, I don't mean to... Um, I don't want to bother you or lead you astray. The word think different does not appear in Scripture. However, the concept of thinking differently is grounded in biblical principles. Examples of people that we see these, these, the need to think different in Scriptures. How about someone like Moses? I mean, think, imagine how he had to think different. And imagine the amount of, of being able to get out of himself and be able to see things different, to think differently. When he is just this ordinary man who has been exiled from his people because he killed an Egyptian uh, um, uh, guard, and he gets to this burning bush, and he, he has to think different because this, the voice of God tells him that he has to go and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And what did he have to get out of his own head is that he could not speak or he was not the right person for this job. Oh, how about Noah? Imagine the amount of thinking different Noah had to do. There, there was, he was told to build this boat. This boat that was uh, large and, and enormous because God told him that there would be rain and, and the rain would cause floods. There had been no evidence of rain up to that point. No one knew what rain was, let alone no one knowing what rain was. To build this boat to go and still continue to build it amongst the ridicule of the people around him. Imagine the need to think different. Or take Abraham, for example. Abraham being called to go out of his hometown of Ur to a land where God would show him into the land of Karen, to a place in Cana. That was a time period where people, the, the clans and the families and the tribes, they stuck together. How much thinking different was necessary for Abraham to step out and do those things? In these and countless other examples, there was a need for different thinking. The calls were counter to their, uh, their, the, the culture around them and the norms of the society that they lived in. And their response to God's call would require them to do something, to think different. And what happened when they did? They were transformed, not only them, but other people. And it's the same for us. To hear and to respond to God speaking to you. Again, to hear and to respond to God speaking to you 
to transform and to become more Christ-like, to make a positive impact on the world, to get out of the status quo, to embrace God's vision and not our cultural vision, these all hinge on thinking differently. But you know, that's not as easy done as it is to talk about. It's not easy done because our culture is no different from Noah's, no different from the judges, no different from Moses's. It's different because we live countercultural. We are called to live countercultural. I mean, if you think that there are just two different worldviews, there's a secular worldview, there is a Christian worldview. Do you understand what worldview is? Worldview is just a framework on how we, um, it's a framework of beliefs, it's a framework of values, it's a framework of assumptions through which we use to see and interpret the world around us. It's really how we see the world around us. It is the lens that we see the person who waits on us at a restaurant. It is the lens that we see the way we respond to people who are um, uh, uh, mean to us or who marginalize us. And so these two frameworks actually help us, they, they, to know this helps, actually helps us to get the right framework, to understand how different they are and how subtly we have become more and more like our secular culture. Because the secular culture believes that there is no intervention from a divine being. There is no intervention. There is no God. Truth is in the eye of the beholder. You can have a truth. I can have a truth. You have a definition about something. I have a definition about something. And I can, we can live with each other because those are different, right? Even though they're, they're different, they become truths within ourselves. Values about fairness and empathy, um, respect for others' rights, but they all come from this personal truth. So I make decisions based on what I see as true or fair, and you might have a different idea of what justice and mercy and forgiveness looks like, but the secular worldview would say, yeah, that's okay. But the Christian worldview is deeply rooted in that, that framework in, a personal, in the belief of a personal and intimate God who loves you. Let me say it again. The Christian worldview's framework and how it interprets, how it sees the world within which we live, is that we believe that there is a personal and intimate God who loves us. God is personal. God is loving. We are sinful. We are in need of redemption. God is the one who intentionally and deliberately redeems. And we, uh, through the work of Christ on the cross, and we receive that by faith through the work of Christ. Justice, mercy, and love, they're not grounded in what you are feeling right now, but they're rooted in the character of God. And I say the character of God because God is the one who has demonstrated those to us. Love, we love as a reflection of God loving us. We show mercy because God has shown us mercy. We show uh, forgiveness because God has shown us 
forgiveness. Yes, he does teach us to do those things, but we do them because they're rooted in the character of God. And the sad thing is, is that I believe that Christians are far more influenced today by our culture. We are far more influenced by our culture today than we realize. Think of the implications. If this is true, right here, if this is true, think of the implications of this. We miss the power of God working through us. Because the culture that we live in says you are how you become and you are a result of your own work, your own determination, your own values. Not because of what God sees in us. We, we miss, if we don't think differently, if we don't, if we are influenced, overly influenced by our culture today, it, it shapes the way we see love or forgiveness or faith. Or here's a big one. How about worry? Worry through the lens of the secular worldview means that we will have to worry about it today and we have nowhere else to trust. We are the ones who have to define that. We are the ones who have to make that happen or make it work out. Or when it comes to our past and our regrets and our shame. I mean, the secular worldview, we define, we're defined by our past, right? And the regrets. We have anger or we have doubt or we have fear. It's all shaped through the lens of our secular culture. Scripture is interpreted through a secular lens. And, and when it is through that, how, does that how do we interpret the practice of prayer? Prayer becomes nothing more than something we do before we go to bed or when we pray um, uh, in our, our prayer closet before we start the day. But what about praying throughout the day? What about handing in moments of crises things over to God? You see, the Christian worldview shows a lot of value in that, not only for us and our emotional side, and our faith side, but it does do something in us of confidence in the God we serve. And needless to say, the secular culture, our worldview, if it influences us too much, we redef redefine what sin is. What, what makes God happy and what makes God sad those things that are, are set up inside of the scriptures that become boundaries for us, they're no more interpreted as options or suggestions when we see the scripture through the lens of a secular worldview. Or that's something way back then. We approach Christmas and Easter at an arm's length and we never imagined the significance and the implications of an empty tomb, of not, uh, of not just what happened 2,000 years ago, but what it means for me today. And so although it's seen in Scripture, this idea of thinking differently, Paul, I believe, is one of the only ones who actually teaches about this. 
to intentionally adopt a new mindset, one that is different from the secular world, one that is aligned with God's thinking. And it is found in um, uh, uh, Romans chapter 12. We'll read this. And you know what? You have this written on your sheet. So I want us to read this together. It's the same version as you see up here. So you can look up here and read it with me, and, um, or you can uh, read it from your sheet. And so, okay, that's when we're going to start. Ready? And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is his good and pleasing and perfect. Now, I want to just focus on three words here. Three words. And the first word is to give. Paul is saying, I plead with you that you give your bodies to God. You give your bodies to God. Now, it's more than just to give. Some might say to present, which is a, some versions might say to present, which is more of a better understanding of the word in the Greek culture in that time period. To offer, to present. It's really a technical term that was used in religious ceremonies that were, were centered around presenting a sacrifice. If you were coming to Israel, or uh, rather to Jerusalem, for some of the high feasts that required a sacrifice, whether it was grain or whether it was animal or whatnot, you had something that you would get to present to the priests as this offering. You would do that. And so the, the idea to give gives this suggestion of a decisive act of commitment. It's a decisive act of commitment. The, the next word here is not only uh, don't, uh, or rather uh, the plead, it's, it's this idea of don't copy or to conform or to be molded into this. It carries that idea of being molded into a certain shape, like the image would be a lump of clay on a spinner's wheel and a potter's wheel, and the, the potter is forming that clay. That is the idea here. That's the image that the hands around the lump of clay are forming that clay into a shape, into a pot or a plate. And in this context, this idea of copying or don't, copy or don't conform. It's a call to resist being molded into the world and its values. That's the context of what Paul, that's how Paul uses it here. And this last word, let God transform or transform, just means to change into another form. And we get that, our word metamorphosis. It's a word that's only used four times in the Bible, in the New Testament, twice here in this verse, these verses. 
and twice in the Gospels. And each time in the Gospels, it is talking about the transfiguration of Christ, the metamorphosis of Christ, the change. And so to use these three words here would have been so impactful for the people around him. The, the, the call to present your body as a living sacrifice, it would have resonated not only with Jews, but with Gentiles who were familiar with the concept of sacrificial uh, offerings. These ideas of conforming or copying with transformation or transforming, they present a stark contrast. You're not going to conform, but you will be transformed. They're antithesis, they're opposites of each other. And they give this, it was a rhetorical way of, of writing in the Greek language that made the reader stop and look at the difference and the significance at what the writer was saying. And these, uh, to become, they, they talk about becoming so entirely different, very similar to what Paul writes in first, or Second Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so on top of all of this, the, the command or the invitation or exhortation not to conform, but be to be transformed, the hearers are encouraged not just to resist the world's mold, not just to ignore the world's more mold, but Paul is saying, the undercurrent is what Paul is saying here is to be actively pursuing transformation that aligns with how God sees things. And how God thinks about things, about the God, will of God. And so how does this happen? And Paul tells us that the transformational process that Paul writes about here, it starts, it's accomplished by thinking different. It's thinking differently. Paul tells us that the way that we resist conformity to the world around us, the way that we actually protect ourselves from the influence of culture around us is to think differently. It's not by sheer willpower. It's not about, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to resist but it's about think changing the way we think. It begins by thinking different. So the lens through which we see the world, this Christian worldview, begins and ends with the character of God. It begins and ends with the character of God. And it starts with this idea of understanding and internalizing the good news or the gospel message. These are lessons that I'd love for us to get here. If we're going to think different, we've got to understand and we've got to internalize the gospel message. 
We got we, we, we to grasp the breadth of God's love for us, the depth of God's mercy, the grace that it's expressed through Jesus Christ in the giving of his son. We seem to have a hard time believing God is graceful, don't we? We have a hard time believing that God has grace or believing that, that in the grace of God. When we think about the world around us and we see it through the lens of all that God has done, through, done for us through Christ, we are naturally motivated to change the status quo. We're naturally motivated to make a positive impact. So if we want to think differently, one of the small steps that we need to take is we've got to understand and we've got to internalize and we've got to keep it at our forefront the gospel message, the good news. We also have got to uh, think differently means that we've got to uh, replace the worldly thinking with God-centered thinking. This, this, this is where the teaching and the commands and the principles found in Scripture, they come into play. This is why we memorize Scripture. The, the, the longer that we study, memorize, meditate scripture, the more we gradually replace the wrong worldly thought patterns. And what happens is when we, these, this all changes our attitude about wealth, about power, about purpose, about status, about relationships, about ethics, and about purpose. When we change and replace our worldly thinking, with God-centered thinking. And certainly, this last step here, just thinking different, is not something we do alone, but we do with the Holy Spirit. It is the work of transformation, the work of transformation begins with thinking differently, changing the way we think about, the lens through which we think about. And it is something God does through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. This is where I want to end today. Do you realize what's at stake? Thinking differently changes the way we deal with our emotions, changes the way that we approach godly service, changes the way we worship, changes the way that we difficult with, deal with difficult passages like pray for your enemies and love your neighbor. Thinking differently changes the way we see the past, the regrets, and shame. We're able, to, we're able to see ourselves in the past through that verse in Romans 8.1 that we are no longer um, under condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We see the past through the lens of forgiveness. It doesn't have to, uh, to define us. It doesn't have to drive us. It doesn't have to control us. It changes the way we see the future. It changes the way we live in the present. It changes the way that we understand and we embrace our faith. It changes the way we think about hope. It changes the way we interact with those who are unchurched. It changes our urgency. It changes the way we think about 
the things we can change. And it changes the way we think about those things we can't change. Just imagine if we began taking those little steps to just think differently throughout our week. Just to think differently. Imagine the difference it could make. But it's going to take some willpower on your side. Some decisions, some boundaries that you will need to make. You're going to need to look at how you consume media. What you binge watch. How much time do you allow yourself to sit and just veg, whether it's the news, whether it is the new um, dropped season of whatever sitcom. We've got to be critical of that. We've got to be asking ourselves, does this align with what I know about God? Does this align with what I know about the gospel? What message is this promoting? Is it drawing me closer to God or is it pushing me further away? We've got to also got to have healthy digital boundaries. We've got to be careful of the influence of social media on our lives. We've got to, be, we've got to draw lines. We've got to create boundaries where we are going to protect the way we think. And we've got to have accountability. Choosing someone who is going to stand there with us and hold us accountable. Do you remember the book Judges? Judges in the Old Testament, it comes right after Joshua. And the two books are volume one and volume two of the history of a particular part of the history of Israel. We know Joshua, right? It's named after the guy. The book is actually named after one of the prominent people of that book, Joshua, who is the one who leads the people into Cana, the promised land, and they take that promised land and make it their own. They conquer it with God's help. At the end of Joshua, Joshua says he has this speech or this sermon he gives to the people, and he says this, you can serve whoever you want, Let me encourage you who you should serve. Let me encourage you to remember what God has done here in your lifetime through you. But you can choose who you want to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now comes Joshua, or Judges. And Judges is a series of generations Hundreds of years where people get into this cycle. They do what is right in their own eyes. They sin against God. They become oppressed. Then they get to a place where they cry out to God for help. God sends a judge and the the judge overcomes the oppressor and the people live at peace. Then it starts all over again. They do what is right in their own eyes. And this cycle just goes over and over and over again. Whether it's Ehud, whether it is Deborah, whether it's Samson, whether it is Gideon. The cycle goes on over and over and over and again. The sad thing is, is it gives us insight at the beginning of 
this book about why it happened. Joshua, Judges rather 2.10 says this, and all that generation, that's the generation of Joshua, died. The people died. They were gathered with their fathers. And then it says, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Now this word know, it doesn't mean intellectual. It means intimate. It's the same word in, um, is a word in Hebrew that's it's very intimate know. It's not that they, did, they forgot what God did. It is that they allowed their culture to define what they should believe about what God did. They had lost that lens, that framework that they were able to define and see and interpret everything they saw in the world around them that what God had done for them. They forgot. They allowed their culture to influence the way they saw God. There's value in thinking differently. God wants you to think differently because he thinks differently. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not as your thoughts. My ways are not of your ways. And really, to make it personal, aren't you glad that God thinks differently about you? I mean, aren't you glad that God sees in you worth and value, so much worth and value that he sends his son to die for you and for your sin? Aren't you glad that God thinks differently about you? That your worth doesn't come from the world around you? That God doesn't say, that's it, few. You have messed up. You've gone too far. I'm done with you. I'm writing you off. Aren't you glad that God thinks differently about you? What would this week look like for you? In just a few minutes, we will celebrate communion together. And as you come and, and, and we'll, we'll come and uh, do it like we usually do it, um, we'll uh, come by outside here and, and, and we'll hand you a piece of bread and we'll give you uh, a cup. But as you come, I want you to just think inside your heart. What do I need to think differently about? What small steps do I need to do to put boundaries on my media consumption? or be critical about what I watch. What this week is, is, is going to demand me to think as God thinks. And as you come and you take communion and you wanna pray and give that to God, kneel down at the altar, at the kneeling rail there and present your body
as a sacrifice. Tell God that with his help, you will do your best in not conforming and molding to the culture around you. Gracious God, we're thankful for the gift of your son. We know, oh God, that, that, that through this wonderful gift, you give us a, an invitation to remember that gift of your son, the significance of what it means for us. On the night that he was betrayed, he sat with his disciples and he took the bread after the meal and he, he broke that bread and he, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat of this bread, do so in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he, he took the cup and he gave thanks to you and he said, this is my blood that has been poured out for you in the new covenant. As often as you drink from this cup, you do so in, in remembrance of me, remembering that there is forgiveness through my blood on the cross. And so gracious God, we give thanks for these, your gifts of bread and juice today. We know a God and we acknowledge that they are just ordinary items. But for this part of our service, we set them apart as sacred. As we remember the mighty works of God. We pray, oh God, that you would allow this bread and this juice to become for us the body and blood of Christ. And allow your Holy Spirit, oh God, to fall upon us and to remind us our sacred worth. That we are yours and you are ours. We are not defined by the world around us, nor are we driven by its values and its passions. Let us, O oh God, think differently. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>